we in our industry are not saving lives <laughs> in the truest sense of the word but there is a place for entertainment and I feel very lucky to be part of it. Hello I'm Bunham and welcome to Crew Chats podcast where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in film, TV and theatre. Today's guest is publicist Cat Blair. We discuss the role of a publicist, how this differs to marketing, the importance of communication and relationships, striking a work-life balance and much more. Hi Kat. Hi Poonam, thanks for having me. No, thank you for um, speaking with me. Um, So you're a publicist and what does that involve for you? It's a very good question. Um, I am a publicist, as you say, and I um, started off in television production um, over at the BBC. And I wasn't even aware that the role of a publicist existed until I was making the programmes and then was looped in with the publicity team. Um, it's a very nuanced role and um, multifaceted, really. We end up uh, essentially bringing eyeballs to a film or a television series. So all of the incredible people like yourselves that are behind the scenes pulling together um, a fabulous looking product we need to make sure that the right audience and the right people are coming to view that. Um, and essentially the job starts off uh, from the very first day of filming because we need to gather assets. So that's photography, behind the scenes, social media content. We need to build relationships with actors and talent so that we get an idea of what they like and what they don't like to do because whilst we want to promote we also want to protect. So the idea of making sure that talent are really happy and are not in an uncomfortable position with any press um, is, is vital. We we do a lot of writing, so press releases, um, production notes, pulling together press packs. Um, it, it's a joy. I mean, for someone like me who loves people, but also um, loves to write, it's, it's the perfect, perfect situation, really. For the press pack and for EPK interviews, that's behind the scenes electronic press kit uh, interviews. I speak to people like yourself um, and right the way across production. That's everyone from the producer, the director to costume, hair and makeup, actors, um, graphic designers, set builders, props, you name it. So it's actually a wonderful job for me to get to know the the very bones of um of everybody involved in production and and I'm very privileged in that respect because not everybody gets to work so broadly um with crew be that 20 50 500 you know it, it's it's a real real gift um part of what keeps my job exciting and interesting um from my perspective too because it's a unique position I kind of didn't realize that I guess you would be speaking to every kind of other department. I just kind of hadn't really registered that. Um, you mentioned relationships with actors as well, but I guess also the crew as well, the other people that you'll be interacting, the other departments that you'll be interacting with. How do you go about building those um, relationships? Yeah, it's very unique. Each relationship starts in a slightly different way. Um, from day one, um, I'm meeting stakeholders as you say, actors or crew members, agents, talent managers. And it's really reading the room a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, everyone's got a, 
a fundamental job to do and they've got to make a show that needs to stay on budget and on time. And whilst they may see the value in publicity, not everybody has the bandwidth or capacity to really give me and my team what we need during filming. Certainly afterwards, it's a little bit easier in the run up to launch because, you know, people may have more time on their hands or indeed they may have gone on to other things. But I'm very mindful of people's um, limited time. Um, So I, I suppose sometimes it's really easy. You just really gel with someone because you work in the same part of the studio as them or others you might not meet for the first six months of filming and then you need to see them um, and and sort of get down to the the nitty-gritty quite quickly without being able to take the time to build those relationships so I'm very conscious having been in production myself quite what it takes to to make high-end tv drama and I, I do rely on people helping me to connect the dots too you know so the producer is vital um, people will come up to me and sort of say, oh, gosh, I met so-and-so today. Have you met them yet? And I'll say, oh, gosh, no, I haven't. Actually, I need to talk to them because I think what they do will make for fascinating content for the international press packet. Could you introduce me? So it's not always me introducing myself and and making a beeline for that person. It's a very organic situation. Um, so a bit of a melting pot, I suppose. <laughs> And how did you get, because you kind of said you mentioned production, how did you get into what you do? That's also a very interesting question. And it sounds a little bit, uh, a bit sort of lazy of me to say this. But when I was in production, I was very lucky to be filming all over the world. And I never saw my friends, I never saw my family. And I was seeing loads of different places and learning so much. But it got to the point where actually, I was in my late 20s. And that pace of life wasn't sustainable anymore and I just thought well I love working in tv and film but what could I do that doesn't involve these crazy hours and and evenings and all sorts and by pure chance really I ended up at a friend's birthday party um I'll name check her she's she's a dear friend and we worked together for 10 years in the end but um Anya Noakes and it just so happened that her associate had left her and she worked in the publicity world um, on feature films such as Sliding Doors and The End of the Affair and big blockbusters like that. And and she said, I, you know, I think you'd be really rather good at it. Um, your TV background, production background will be invaluable and you love people. They seem to seem to engage with you <laughs> and you've got great writing skills. So how about it? So I, I dipped my toe in and never looked back really. And um, yeah, I was with, was with Anya for about nine years having had sort of 10 years production experience um and then left to set up on my own about seven years ago uh so it's it's been quite a a sort of windy path but but one that that's been very welcome and uh yeah I, I just I suppose this is the problem isn't it there are so many different roles in tv and film you often don't know about the job you end up doing until you've been doing another job first so yeah that's true and also I'm going to say this now sounds like a but you have a lovely voice and I don't know why I didn't register it the first time we spoke but you're a really soothing voice 
<laughs> Thank you very much. Well, if you ever need anybody for voiceovers, <laughs> I'll keep you in mind. But it kind of goes a bit. You do, I guess, when someone speaks to you, like you probably put them at ease really quickly because you have a very calm, soothing voice. Oh, yeah. But sorry, let me let me go back to your what you were saying about. Did it feel like a big shift going from production to then publicity? Did your brain sort of shift if you had to shift a few gears? I don't actually think my brain needed to shift at all, you know, because I was so ensconced in the world. Um, it felt very natural. I could bring a perspective to it that uh, other publicists in the industry couldn't. Um, I mean, that, that's not to say that they've all always been doing publicity. A friend, a great friend of mine who I'm working with at the moment um, on, on another project, she uh, she started off in journalism and moved into publicity. And another um, industry colleague um, started off in publishing. So it's not... It's not to say that everybody in publicity has always been in publicity. And I think because of the skill sets, you can make it applicable if you've been working across a variety of, of different genres and areas before. And you mentioned, like you said, you've got your own company now. How do you get work? What's your process? And do you have to pitch or? Yeah, I'm very lucky um, in as much as it's a bit of a variety Um I think, yes, uh, very, very pleased and privileged to say that I do get approached a fair bit. Um, I think they they all say, don't they, you're only as good as your last project. And I've been very, <laughs> very lucky with the projects that I've been brought on for. Um, and I suppose I do. Yeah, absolutely. Keep keep it real, you know, pitch for work. Um, sometimes you end up pitching for work that you realise in the process is not actually right up your street, but why not give it a whirl for the experience? Um, and it's funny how I, I do feel that things manifest themselves. When you know, when, when you really want something, I think you do a much better job of the pitch process and that shines through your passion and, and so on. Um, but but also I do get work through producers I've worked with before. So if they've had an enjoyable experience of working with me, then they'll take me with them to their next project. And so that's a really nice thing. I get to work with people that I like and respect and we have a very sort of natural way of working. So, yeah, it's a variety of different ways. And actually, it's there's a lot of trust involved in what you do which I, again, I'm registering this now, but you hold a lot of responsibility in that respect. How how do you manage that? And how, yeah, because if certain things go wrong or <laughs> if someone's maybe portrayed in a certain, in a way which is not, you know, beneficial to them or the production, whichever way it may be, how do you manage, how do you fight those fires, I guess? Yeah, and there are a lot of fires. Yeah, I, <laughs> I won't ask you to give examples. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry. I won't share. I, I certainly, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you never see in the press. There's a lot of keeping things out of the press, um, be that for personal clients, because I do look after some actors and um, their profiles and help them to raise their profiles. And I also work for very established um, talent that perhaps don't want to do any press at all and want their name kept out of things. So, yeah, it's it's not the most enjoyable part of the job, but it is in some ways the most rewarding. There is a huge amount of responsibility. And I think, and I don't know if this is true of women in general or just uh, all of us as human beings, but 
imposter syndrome is always that sort of little gremlin sitting on your shoulder. Are you sure you're up to this? This is a huge project. This is your biggest project you've ever done. Are you going to cut the mustard? And actually being able to sort of push on through and give yourself a bit of a talking to and come out the other side with a good result, i.e. you've kept something out of the press or someone has really responded well to your support and expertise that's such a win and that keeps the gremlin a little quieter each time you have um a sort of a hiccup or a problem or a challenge that you feel at the time is insurmountable you can uh, sort of better yourself the next time by by remembering those moments and saying oh yes it is huge but at the same time you've got this experience you know what you're doing you are hired to know what you're doing but we're all human beings and I suppose the other thing is communication Mm -hmm. if I see something that I don't feel is right or raises concern I will mention it I won't sit on it or bury it and managing expectation you know I think if if an actor comes to me and says that they want to be on the cover of Vogue or they come to me and say I need to be on the Graham Norton show be it for a project or personal publicity I will I will know from my experience whether that's feasible or not and kindly guide them in a slightly different direction or absolutely support them 100% because I believe I can deliver because at the end of the day there's no point in not being honest and upfront about these things and I do feel that that helps me in the long run so yeah it's in the main, a joy doing publicity for TV and film because you're always putting a smile on someone's faces and you're bringing an audience to a piece of escapism. But there's always the dark underbelly of uh, the press and paparazzi and managing those unwanted conversations. But as you rightly touched on earlier, perhaps all publicity is good publicity. It's not always wanted. Uh, <laughs> You can always normally turn a negative into a positive by some careful consideration and brokering of relationships. Well, those brokering that brokering relationships relationships that you mentioned, I guess, again, I I appreciate you may not want to go into too much detail, and I completely understand why. But um, I guess you would have to have good relationships with the media and the paparazzi in order to kind of turn around to be, well, we don't want this. In the, I mean, how far, how much of a sway would you have in those situations? It's a really good question. Oh. I I am not the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. they, uh, I've, I've been in a number of situations, particularly with the tabloid press, where I'm brokering a deal, where I'm saying, look, this project hasn't been announced yet. You've got wind of it. And it's not quite across the line yet. Mm. If you hold on this story, not only will I give it to you first as an exclusive, but I'll also give you first casting, for example. So I can have them work with me if if I can see benefit in them waiting to get a better storyline. Um, if it's in the public interest, they will go ahead and publish anyway, which I totally get. And it's the freedom of press. I mean, I, I'm glad I'm not Russell Brand's publicist right now, but... Um, oh, something like that there's no there's no way that any respecting journalist would sit on that story and it's you know that's not something that you could bargain with a publicist about um, but at the same time you know there are things I won't name names but there was a, a very uh, wonderful client that I had who um, revealed in a conversation with a member of the press for the very first time that she'd been sexually assaulted 
and um he saw that as an exclusive rather than actually leading with what he was talking to her about which was the project which being a member of the tabloid press you would um but she hadn't even told her partner she hadn't even told her family and so i had to call on their better judgment and say look if you're going to run this you at least got to give us a few days because these are important conversations that had have to be had with her nearest and dearest and work with me here. Um, as it so happened, um, with the news being the way it is, a big story broke the next day. So it was no longer a big splash on the front of the newspaper. And actually it did go away. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't a comfortable position to be in um, for me, for the journalist or for my client. And these are human beings at the end of the day. And I think because of my experience, because of my background, because of because I stand by my word and I will get the journalists what they need, they respect that. And that doesn't always happen. And there's always going to be a rogue writer that ruins it for everyone else. But there's no guarantees with any of it. And that's hard. Is it hard to reconcile that? I don't know how to phrase this. And I, because I know obviously you said at the, ultimately where everyone's human involved. But in that situation, you just said that the journalist I guess as a moral there's a question of morality often in all these kinds and everything that you see in the media there's a question of morality involved and it's you sit very much in that you're there you're in the the middle of that and I it must be quite a difficult place to be I don't yeah I don't know how to (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it is and I think you do have to be a decent human being to do this job because a lot of the individuals on the other side of the fence are not I'm not saying I mean I've got great great respect and relationships with with all UK consumer national press and the trade press and and I love working with them but there are some bad apples and I think that goes back to what I was saying about protecting talent as well as promoting the project that they're so proud of there's a very fine line and for me I'm very strategic with that I only want to put talent forward that are capable and that have been briefed and media trained but also I'm not going to put them in front of journalists that I I don't feel will have the best intentions at heart so it it is a it is a it is a privilege and I feel like a bit of a gatekeeper yeah but you know I think that that's also why I hope talent enjoy working with me because I'm not I'm not going to run over hot coals to just get what we need to to bring eyeballs to the show. You know, I I want that the experience to be as pleasurable for them as possible. Not everybody likes publicity. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go as far as to say most talent would prefer is probably not in their contract. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, you know, publicity helps them secure the next job in some ways as well, because without a profile without them being seen in the press and having that presence people won't necessarily think of them for the next the next thing not inflating (laughs) the the publicity uh, machine but it it is it is something that they need to be savvy about yeah it's it's a bit it's a big important part of it especially the the front-facing side of a production I guess as well yeah and actually that's a really interesting thing we've not touched on just yet um big part of my job when I'm a unit publicist so that's um during filming and you're on set most days throughout the the whole filming period set visits 
we bring international press to set, to talk to talent, to watch the filming. And that can be any, any title from the Radio Times in the UK to Vanity Fair through the US or um, Architectural Digest through the US or, or the Times to talk to your leading lady. And those are incredibly important, those set visits. They essentially allow us to bank material and interviews with on and off screen talent whilst we're filming, because we've got all of those talent there as captive audiences. Once they leave us, they're on to the next thing. Mm. They may not have the time, but we need to be good and ready to go with assets and interviews in the bag come the time of release to give us the biggest chance of success. And, you know, we may have two or three set visits and they may be in this country or they may be in another. Or we could have up to 15, 20 press visits, depending on the scale of the production. And those are not only incredibly time consuming for me and my team, but they are also incredibly um, time consuming for production. So it's navigating that with the crew who already have the production to, to film, but how can I make that sit as comfortably in and amongst their shooting schedule without changing anything <laughs> and allow <laughs> them to keep filming. And that's a big jigsaw puzzle that I really, really enjoy. That's a, a sort of on the ground work. You mentioned the unit publicity, publicity aspect of your job. And that, I guess, starts when filming starts. What? How do you begin your job when you get onto a job? Oh, yeah. Okay. I start a job if I'm not just on board for unit publicity during filming um, at script read-through stage. I'm, I then often remain until uh, the release of the film or the TV series. The first thing that I do is introduce myself to people, let them know that I'm approachable and not a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> Share my contact details um, and just let them know in a nutshell, what they can expect from me during their time on a project. Now, that could be the locations manager. And I'd say, and I'll be coming to speak to you before long about time for press back interview. Or I'll go to the costume designer and um, and let them know that I might be popping down to the costume warehouse to, to see them and uh, talk them through what we might be doing together over the course of the season. So I think that laying down the sort of the initial expectation of how we're going to interact is really, really important. And then I don't tend to touch anybody or, or a, a sort of approach anyone for the first few weeks of, of any filming job because everyone's finding their groove, working out what their roles are. Um, and I observe a lot. So I, I work out when will be good, when won't be good to perhaps chat to them or or explore what we need to do together. And then it very much mushrooms from there. I think the producer is always my direct report and it's incredibly important to me that they like me and respect me and likewise, and often will be a bit of a hit squad and uh, you know sort of keep each other posted and go a fair few places together so that uh, everyone knows I mean business. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want people the worst possible thing is is for crew members to go oh gosh it's more publicity I I want them all to feel comfortable and know that I'm approachable and amenable and we've just got to get the job done 
it's a slowly, slowly catchy monkey situation. There's no sort of, there's no rush about it. We've been for nine months. It can take me nine months to get everything that I need. You know, the, the SBOD or the broadcaster or the studios ask for. Um, if it's three months, it'll probably take me the whole three months too, because uh, anything worth having is worth waiting for. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Once you've sort of spoken to people and sort of let people know who you are, and then filming begins. And I guess that you spoke about. Um, doing interviews with actors and speaking to medium and etc and then what happens post filming do you are you involved in the big sort of photo shoots etc etc yeah no absolutely and um it depends each project um requires a different level of involvement we can be brought on just for the unit publicity or we can be brought in for the whole process so once we've finished filming and we've gathered all of our assets we then start thinking about um, our strategy for release that can be even up to a year after we've finished filming so you have plenty of time to get all of your ducks in a row I do hate that phrase but it's true (laughs) Um, because whilst you're able to button up a certain amount of publicity um, during filming you are restricted any one-to-one interviews with individual talent happen away from set and um, it's a bit of a map because you have tv radio online print podcasts you have so many different avenues to explore and it takes a while to pull that all together Um, so we have to be highly strategic from the outset always thinking about the bigger picture not just about filming and what we want to achieve then and I guess it, maybe it's easier if I if if we speak about a particular one, and and I guess one one such example is is and I'll go to you worked on a number of things such as Bulletproof, Mock the Week. I want to ask you about Mock the Week by the way. One of them is Bridgerton, and you you came on to season two of Bridgerton. Now you 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 kind of spoke about managing expectations, and that one season one kind of was like, oh my days, it came from nowhere sort of thing. And then you on season two, and you're like, well, was that kind of a bit? wait what, what am I going to do here because everyone already expects amazing things from me well that's a really good question I think I mean what what a gift as a huge fan of the first series to be brought in for seasons two and three um was incredible but actually when something is is a mega hit it comes with its own sort of complications because yes. uh, <laughs> obviously you then have the world as your stage and everybody wants to cover the show but that's just not that's just not possible given talent time restrictions and given my own personal <laughs> time yeah of course um, I, but I, I also have to say that you know I'm just the unit publicist um, on Bridgerton there is a huge and brilliant team in-house at Netflix and Shondaland who execute the release. I mean, it's a huge team and and everybody works beautifully together. So you're not on your own. And I love being part of a team. I love that. Um, I think certainly there there are greater requirements for more press set visits. And inevitably, you want to please as many people as possible because just because people tune in for one series doesn't mean they're going to automatically watch the next series. And especially on something like Bridgerton, where it's a new story, whilst 
the key characters in the large remain the same. It's like starting afresh. Mm. And that's that's a real blessing too, because you're always telling them a new story and you're always whisking them away to a slightly different part of of the ton. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I sort of, you, you mentioned Bulletproof and um, Mock the Wheat, both very, very different, but love, love, working on both of them um bulletproof i worked on season one and was brought in just for the release campaign as a consultant at sky um so i I wasn't even on set with um with the team for that mock the week it films over a fixed period or film should i say rest in peace um it was, it was a super thing to be part of but you know you'd film over x many weeks um for two seasons a year so you were far more of a quick in and out than you would have been than for something like Bridgerton. But likewise, I did Patrick Melrose, which I was very proud of, um, multi-batter award winning. I uh, was brought in just for release for that. And the same again with I Hate Susie, um, another incredibly successful Sky show that I loved. Whilst you're blessed with incredible talent for all these projects, and yes, of course, people will always want to talk to them and interview them. The talent is not always available. The talent doesn't necessarily want to talk to that title that you know is going to really move the needle with a particular audience. So it's working with an armory of assets and being creative um, and working very closely with other teams like marketing. I mean, goodness me, the big glamorous shoots um, the big the big sort of editorial shoots that they do and, and then sort of share around and, and billboards and you know advertising on the side of buses you know that that is not publicity that's marketing so it's not just down to me as an individual publicist there's a whole army of, of really wonderful people that come together to to put this in front of the right the right people so that you know to go to the cinema to buy your ticket at that time i guess also because you worked on a different variety of things as well like you mentioned i mean you mentioned i hate susie mock they're all quite different things and different types of shows in terms of the the format of the show as well how do you strategize i guess that's the right word to use to sort of say well this show i'll use mock the week as an example like you say it's no longer being made but but it usually this kind of show generally appeals to this kind of um demographic but we want it to sort of appeal to a different type of person or a different country etc etc how do you sort of work out how to go about doing that which kind of media outlets or podcasts radios <laughs> i don't know the te- technical terminology um would be best best fits for that kind of thing and that's a very that that's a big old question (laughs) largely when you've been around a little while and I I do specialize in drama and comedy you bring a wealth of past experience from things that work well and didn't work so well on other comedies or other drama there are also press for each individual genre that you would go to rather than others so just because, I don't know, the arts editor at the Times um, covers all of arts, but she might have a real penchant for BBC One's Outnumbered or for the actor Hugh Dennis. And so actually over time, you form a, a sort of a far clearer picture 
And that's not something that you can rush either. I, I was desperate. When I first started working in publicity, I, I, I realized how much there was to learn and how much I just didn't know. And I saw very quickly that that it wasn't possible to learn all of that by just doing one one comedy series or one TV drama series. It is a bit of a cliche, but it's a lifetime of experience <laughs> that helps to build a bit of a head of steam. And, and so each strategy is just very unique. There isn't a one size fits all. And I'm very lucky that I sort of have a lot of experience and colleagues and peers and mentors to pull on for advice when I I don't know what I'm doing or perhaps there's a gap in my knowledge we're very collaborative like that what I wanted to ask you about actually and you mentioned social media earlier is that how much has that changed your job (laughs) this is a bit (laughs) of a bone of contention I say this because social media is largely in marketing's camp so as an example, if we were to have a social embed on a big show, they would be hired and brought in by marketing. But they would work seamlessly alongside me as unit publicist. And so I would help them capture the content they need because I hold the relationships with talent or because I know that we're going to get X, Y and Z together for it. A press set visit they're going to talk to press at this time so they may have 10 15 20 minutes where they can do some social media capture for my colleague at the same time so whilst it, social media is an incredibly important part of promo for the show it's not actually something that falls to my remit I wouldn't hire and I wouldn't brief in the social media team but we would very much present ourselves as one and the same to the outward facing crew how interesting i again with the when you mentioned marketing actually earlier as well to me in my head and i guess I'm, as a layperson, <laughs> um ignorant to most of this kind of stuff to me they kind of yeah they're kind of not one and the same but they would be a, a crossover to de- crossover departments i guess um, yeah well that that's a very good thing um to mention because not a lot of people understand the difference between marketing and publicity marketing is all the paid for stuff so marketing is advertising essentially that's advertorials that's posters that's on the side of buses and taxis the publicity side of things is the free stuff so that is when you are utilizing on and off screen talent to promote your show without them being paid a bean without you know without us paying for that space in a in a newspaper because it is part of their contract or because they are keen to support their show so that's how you can differentiate but they do both departments are incredibly important to each other and we work very closely together how fascinating that's really interesting um and I guess actually on the social media front, because I know you, um, you were saying you sort of, um, you don't manage talent, that's not the correct terminology to use, but you represent talent. Is that the correct way to, I how would you phrase so. it? Yeah, well, I I am the face of the talent for that project. Face so of the um, in order to get to the talent for any project, press would have to come through me, but only for the project, because I then liaise with the agent or the managers. So yeah, and when yeah. I look after, when I, I do take on actors as personal clients, yes, I, I would then represent their press interests. 
sorry, I know I'm getting into the, like the whole like, the details. So it's just fascinating, though. Is but actually, what I was going to say is that social media in that situation that we just spoke about is that um, if something goes out onto social media and things do, I guess, and it's kind of people do post things and it's very quick. The turnaround is very quick. How do you sort of keep pace with that? and sort of ask people once I find out once things are on the internet it's hard to kind of take things down I guess I don't I don't know how you manage that yeah and and certainly when you start on a project you would always have briefings with uh, the talent and their reps about what our hopes would be for their engagement on social media equally those things we prefer they they don't do during filming nearly always everyone plays ball there's always going to be one or two and it is it's very hard once something's out there to have it retracted so we we do just we we work on a a level of mutual respect and um you know that's another thing that as soon as we get started we'll discuss um it's quite common now for crew and cast not to post anything during filming mm. to allow the project to be made there will be plenty of time to talk about the project as we run up to launch. Um, and it does make everybody's life easier if if people do. <laughs> yeah. You stick by the rules. <laughs> um, I mean, you touched upon it earlier, but what would you say, what is the highlight of your job? Being able to work on programmes that I truly love to watch myself. I think it it's incredible but a lot of people tv and film is escapism and sometimes the world can be a pretty ugly place and i love the fact that i can work on something that is ultimately going to bring someone a bit of joy that and the relationships that i get to form and the people i get to meet you know it's we in our industry are not saving lives <laughs> in the truest sense of the word but there is a place for entertainment and I feel very lucky to be part of it. But the challenges, I suppose, we need to counteract it with a challenge. Yes. <laughs> um, it can be all consuming um, because of my job. Uh, a lot of it's very reactive. So if press get wind of something or if uh, something is leaked, that can happen at any time of the night or day at a weekend when you're on holiday and you can't pick it up and put it down you have to always be one step ahead of these things so if you get wind of it if it's flagged you can't just wait and reply the next morning so that's I think the biggest challenge for me but then it can also be the greatest reward because when you resolve it or it's handled in the right way then you feel top of the world (laughs) in relation to that first point you made though like how do you strike a a, a balance between the all-consuming work and then actually and then having a life I'm still learning (laughs) (laughs) I don't and I I think I asked that a bit flippantly but I didn't intend for that to be the case when I say because obviously work is a part of your life but I mean how do you strike how do you strike a work-life balance would probably be a nicer way to put it no, it's 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 very very hard to, and I'm sure you find it the same because you don't clock on at nine and leave at five. Um, but what what I do do and I prioritise is between projects taking downtime, proper downtime, where I spend precious time with 
my granny or my husband or the puppy or my sister or whatever it is. Um, because when you're on a project, you're on it 100%. Um, if I'm able to, if it's a friend's wedding or my goddaughter's birthday, before I start a project, I, I'll flag these so that I'm able to take them off over the course of the of the contract and and again I'll, I'll refer back to the brilliant in-house teams at the SVODs and the broadcasters who who've got my back because we all need time off um and if I've got a medical appointment or you know a special family event then of course they'll give me the downtime but I suppose the beauty actually of working with these SVODs now across the globe there's always someone in the house on a different time zone who can handle something for you if if you're sleeping (laughs) you know so (laughs) um it's i i'm glad i'm i'm really glad that i love my work and i'm really really happy to jump on something in all reasonable circumstances but yes you do have to be quite rigorous if you're on a date night and it's 10 o'clock at night and something's kicked off for a project there's always someone that I can sort of ask for their help on and it'll be their working day so that's a good way and when you say SBOD do you refer are you, do you mean studios sorry oh sorry so no, no, no. when I so it's vision on de, vision on demand services so that's Netflix Disney Apple Amazon um when I refer to SBODs that's who I'm talking about um the the terrestrial broadcasters when I talk about them that's the BBC ITV channel 4 um so yeah sorry no 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 that's I assumed you meant like streamers but um yeah the stream clarify yeah (laughs) I should have said streamers (laughs) no 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 you're it's just the technical it's good to know as well actually because I can go into someone be like yeah I know what that means (laughs) (laughs) um is there anything you'd like to see change in I in your in your industry I guess and the wider industry goodness um that's a big old question I haven't really thought about that um I'm lucky enough in our industry that personally I don't see um anything other than a very fair playing field um for pay I don't see the gender pay gap in our industry um I've never experienced that um I would however like to see filming hours reduced ever so slightly I think it's unrealistic for um mothers um in fact humans <laughs> to to work 12 hour days day in day out um or thereabouts of course because you know we can work overtime and and so on I know we've got to get the the filming done but there's there never seems to be enough of a budget to give people proper downtime between shifts turnaround isn't what it should be I don't think um especially when we're having to travel to locations between locations so yes having said I'm really not entirely sure what I'd change I absolutely know what I would change <laughs> I'd, I'd reduce the the daily working hours ever so slightly to give everyone a little more breathing room I think we'd get so much more out of each other if we did that I, I completely agree the the filming day I mean, the, it's slightly different for me. I'm not necessarily on set, but the that day in itself feels long. But the filming day with turnaround, I mean, prep and wrap as well. I mean, 
is a long day. Um, I agree. And yeah, it would it would be you you're, you're right. You would get a little get the best out of people if it was a slightly short. <laughs> you had the time. And, to... and I, I think I should quantify that also by saying I mentioned a twelve hour day. I know that we have agreed. Pact has agreed a ten hour working day, but by the time we've all travelled to location to start that 10 hour day it's often 12 or 13 hours for most people so yes I should should just clarify that legally it's a 10 hour working day however by the time most people have traveled to studio or a location and home again it's often a 13 hour day it's a long day but this brings me to a final question, which is, what are your three to watch recommendations? I don't know why I sang that, sorry. <laughs> well, probably because you're pleased it's the end of our show. No, it's not. I was, no, no, it's been really interesting. Sorry, I won't go, but on, what are your three to watch recommendations? <laughs> well, the, the way that I like to unwind at the end of it, of a working day in our industry is by believe it or not watching tv and film i am very much the same (laughs) (laughs) so this is a perfect question for me um so my three to watch on saturday i saw past lives the new korean film Um, i really enjoyed it i thought it was a very tender and taught watch i'm also (laughs) re-watching sex education at the moment are you i i love it i know i'm so good target audience but it's i just wanted to remind myself ahead of the release of the fourth and final series that's coming coming out not long not long (gasps) i think it's it's this month september (gasps) oh gosh it's made me so happy yeah (laughs) it's glorious isn't it they're very talented um crew and cast and I, I I'm embarrassed to say this but the third one to watch which is very much a guilty pleasure and please don't laugh is at home with the Furies on Netflix Tyson Fury and his family I knew nothing about this world I knew nothing about them and it popped up as a one to watch or you know we recommend this to you and my husband was out one night and I started watching and I couldn't stop. I'm just sorry. I'm just, I'm just looking it up because I've not heard. <laughs> I've not heard of this. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Well, but I've heard. No, is one of them. I know who Tyson Fury is. Is he a well, boxer? I didn't even know that. He is a boxer. Okay. okay. <laughs> His wife is incredible. They, I think they've something like six children and they've got oh. the seventh on the way. I mean, oh. it's extraordinary. Um, but they seem to be thoroughly fabulous people and it's sort of seeing how the other side lives but at the same time recognizing how grounded and normal they are so that three very different ones to watch from me they are three very different ones (laughs) that's another that's interesting one that is nice mix I like that well and I I think it's always drama and comedy for me as well um very very rarely reality so i'm in, i'm amazed that at home of the furies floated my boat but there you have it i like them thank you for your recommendations and thank you for taking the time to speak with me cat i really enjoyed speaking to you and learning about what you do because i had an idea in my head of what i thought you did and it's actually quite different in reality what you do. well i've i've loved talking to you Poon. <laughs> thanks for having me on and Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kat. 
And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.